peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Will you please rise in body or in spirit for the gospel lesson? The gospel lesson comes from the book of Mark, chapter 20, verses 18 through 20. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day he will be raised. Then the mother of the sons of Zebdi came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we come to our time of children's message, I wanted to ask you about something. If you've picked up your Lenten bags, you might have noticed, and if not, I'll give you a teaser. You might have noticed there was a box inside. Did you, did you see this? You can give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. I think I see a thumb, okay. <laughs> okay, do you know what this box is? You're not sure. Should I tell you? No. <laughs> Maybe I should. Are you going to tell us? No. Huh. Maybe I'll go, Maybe I'll go ahead and tell then. <laughs> so, <laughs> this box is uh, one of our Lenten mission boxes. You might notice at the top, there's a, a little slit, and it's an invitation to drop some coins in, although I promise also what would fit are some things that fold. You could, you could also put dollars or checks. That's probably not so much for kids as for adults. Um, do you know why we're putting coins in this box? Huh. <laughs> no, okay. I actually got a response that time. <laughs> we are putting coins in this box um, because our youth are doing a mission project. They are helping out learning about our soup kitchen. And they are going to learn why it is we have a soup kitchen. They're gonna learn about planning for the soup kitchen. And so we're inviting everyone to put in a quarter for every meal that they eat during Lent. Now some people eat three meals a day, some people eat two meals a day, whatever it might be for you, and we're inviting you to do that. It might get heavy. It could be a lot of quarters. That's why I'm saying maybe it's the stuff that folds. That's a little bit less heavy. Um, 
So I'm inviting you as we start this Lent to find that box within your bag and to start doing that. Do you think you might want to do that with us? Maybe. I got a thumbs down. We'll think about it. Okay. That was a definite I'm not sure or no. As we start Lent, one of the things that we often do, yeah, thumbs down, fair enough, really honest. One of the things we often do during Lent is consider what are the ways that we can walk with Jesus? What are the ways that we're called to do something that's a little different in our lives so that others may be able to have something else. So I invite you all into this practice. Consider if it may be a way, yeah, I know, think about it <laughs> for all of us. Would you pray with me so we may see how it is that God's moving in our lives? Let's echo together. Dear God, we thank you for the gifts you give us. How you feed each of us. Help us to serve others. Amen. Honesty is a gift, too. Sometimes hard to be honest when your mother is the pastor. <laughs> Help was what I saw signed at me as I watched a community member make their way across the parking lot of a previous church. There was a child who needed medicine that a doctor had prescribed, and in that family there was no additional money. In the checking account, it had already been overdrawn, and there were two additional days left in the month. Y'all know how this goes. Could the church help? Help? You remember the song? The one the Beatles sang about 1965 or so. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, now how it goes. John Lennon, when he wrote in reflection, said this was probably the most honest song he ever wrote. It's probably saying something. Most of us can probably relate to wanting to do it by ourselves. If we had our choice, I'd rather do it by myself and not want somebody else to help. Did you know that prayer is the most common faith practice among Americans? It's actually more common that attending worship, reading scriptures, giving alms or in any way, it's more common than singing. 79% of Americans have 
prayed in some form in the last three months, according to the Pew Research Center. We're not going to measure how they prayed. It doesn't matter. In general, we prefer to pray by ourselves and quietly. In fact, silently if we have our preference. There are some of us who are more charismatic and audible, who prefer to be in a group or feel the support of others, but there's no right way to pray. This last Wednesday, we began a sermon series on prayer with the acknowledgement that probably all of us pray. We don't need to have fancy words or elegant phrases. We pray. And even when we're not exactly sure who we are talking with or what our hearts might be saying, we end up saying something. We're calling out. Hence the one word prayers. Now they're not intended to oversimplify. Often we're articulate and thoughtful. This series is permission to pray in whatever language comes. I like comics. Um, there's a classic comic from Family Circle. Maybe you know it. And this little girl here, kneeling beside her bed, offering some nighttime prayers and very honestly saying to her mother, if you can see it here, it says, I can't remember the Lord's Prayer. Maybe this has been you once or twice. So I said the Pledge of Allegiance. We all had to say that at one point or another. Even when we're not sure what words to use, the act of praying carries us. With approximately 8 out of 10 people praying, I found myself wondering, what are we praying for? And how can we support one another in prayer? The short answer is we pray for what's on our mind. This one might be a little bit harder for us to, to read, but Pickles, the comic strip here, he's trying to scrub the freckles off of his face. It's a very teenage kind of thing to do. Maybe it continues for many of us. And as mom tells him, you can't do that because it's angels' kisses, he begins to pray that the angels wouldn't kiss him quite so much. Whether it's the freckles in the comic strip pickles or the life changes in the book, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. We pray for what we think about in our minds. We pray for what consumes our thinking. The book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, starts with a sixth grader named Margaret Simon, who moves from New York to New Jersey, anxious about a home and about school. She got two parents, one who's Jewish and one who's Christian, and neither one of them are particularly religious. They tell her to choose her own faith. So she just starts talking to God, and she says this, I'm in my new bedroom, but it's the same bed. 
It's quiet, it's nothing like the city. I just see shadows on my wall and I hear creaking sounds. I hear my dad tell me it's just the creaking noise, but it's scary. I hope my dad knows what he's talking about. I met a new girl, her name's Nancy. She expects me to be grown up. I think she's gonna be disappointed. Do you think it's time for me to start growing up already? If you could arrange that, I'd be glad. Thanks. That sounds a lot like our prayers, doesn't it? Help! If we could hear Margaret and her voice throughout the book, I think that raises the question, are there things that are off limits for us to pray for? In the gospel lesson that Jenny read for us from Matthew, you and I eavesdropped on what might have been a familiar conversation. Jesus and the disciples headed to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover, and they're singing the Psalms of Ascent together. As I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven. And as they traveled, Jesus and the 12 and a whole bunch of others. But Jesus pulls aside and he starts teaching about his upcoming death. It wasn't exactly cheery. It wasn't the first time and it won't be the last. But still, they're, they're not getting it. And the mother of James and John, we heard it there, the sons of Zebedee, she comes over and she says, I, I'd like a favor. We know not from here, but from another place that her name is actually Salome. With the Psalms on her heart and permission on her lips, she says, can I just have a favor? Now, if you read ahead or you know the story, you might know that the favor that she asks is she wants them to share power with Jesus. Can my sons have what you've got? We've often said that this means it's a little tone deaf. They don't get what's going to come next. But I stopped the reading there. We didn't hear that part. And I did that on purpose. Salome just knew this. She knew this part. Ask for the desire of your heart and depend on God for the rest. When you and I pray for healing or jobs or restoration or hope, we don't know what's coming next. This is the only thing we know. Trust God because God's answer will be the best. Paul writes the part we heard from the prison to the church in Philippi. He's got a little time on his hands, and he offers this wisdom. Rejoice in all things. Don't get concerned. Just share your concerns with God, and you'll know some peace. Paul wrote to the faith community like every other faith community that's had conflict before, just about every other one. What it was didn't survive the test of time. 
but just about every faith community's had one. And he says this, we are the church when we support one another in prayer. According to the Barner Research Center, we who pray are more likely to confess than we are to pray for specific concerns from one another. Here's what I think that says about us. We have every good intention. When somebody says, will you pray for me? But we forget, we don't remember, or else we don't have good ways to pray for each other. How do we offer their needs to God when they come like Margaret in Are You There, God? Or like Pickles in the comics, honest and unpolished? Let me offer a few thoughts. In the Lenten bag, there's actually a notebook. This one's my prayer notebook. A prayer notebook is used to record requests that you might have yourself or that other people have of you. It doesn't have to be fancy. Like when you get the prayer chain, I make a note for myself. Not a lot, just enough to jog my own memory. Like when a coworker says to you, would you keep my daughter in prayer? She lost her job. And you just write her name down. When you're watching the news and we hear this crazy stuff about the weather in Texas, my goodness gracious, and you see the images of the icicles hanging from the ceiling fan, and you just write it down. When a friend shares concerns with you, you have no idea exactly what to write down. And you just put their name. And then at lunchtime, or the end of the day, or when you wake up in the middle of the night, whatever your prayer time is, and you just pull out your journal. Sometimes words come easily, and sometimes just images in your own mind. This, my friends, is intercessory prayer. You hold an image in your mind. Now I gotta give you a word of caution. When it starts to stress for you, take a break. We're not all called to carry every single one ourselves. Thanks be to God, we are the church together. But I do have to say, God uses us to intercede in some incredible ways. Tony Campola tells this story, and I wanted to share it with you. Tony Campola, you might know, is a professor and evangelist, and he was at a Pentecostal college chapel service. And as he was there, there were some men who decided to pray on his head, you know, pray blessings on top of him. So there's eight of them, and they've got their hands on top of his head, and they're praying, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they said, he said, this is a pretty good thing, except as they got tired, they leaned on him. And one of them started to pray for someone by the name of Charlie Stolfus. 
And they prayed like this. Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stolfus. He lives at the silver trailer down the road about a mile. And you know the trailer. It's down the road a mile on the right-hand side. And Charlie told me this morning he's going to leave his wife and three kids. Lord, step in and do something and bring the family back together. You can imagine Tony's thinking to himself, I thought they were praying for me. I'm about ready to speak. Finally, after a while, Tony gets the prayers off his head, delivers the message, and he's starting to head home. In the days before, he's on his way home from the turnpike, and he notices a hitchhiker on the side of the road. And he picks this guy up. And he's driving home and says to him, you know, hi, I'm Tony, what's your name? And y'all might imagine where this might be going. And the guy says, hi, I'm Charlie. He says, you aren't Charlie Stolfus, are you? He says, yeah, actually I am. He says, I'm going to turn the car around. He says, where are you going? I'm going to take you home. Why? His eyes start to narrow. Tony drives on and he says, because you just left your wife and kids. Can you begin to imagine how this goes? With shock on his face, he says, how do you know where I live? Because God told me, Tony says with all of his heart. As they drove home, to Charlie's house, his wife exclaims, you're back, and starts to whisper this story into his ear. Her eyes are big as saucers. Now, Tony says with some authority more than he knew he had, we're going to talk, he says to these two young people. And as he leaves, they begin to talk to one another. You see, when you and I pray, we have no idea how God might use us. We have no idea when we pray and when we intercede what God might open us up to and how God might use us. May God use you and may God use me for God's many purposes to serve one another. This, my friends, is the gospel. It's the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.